0: A Life in Laughter Café Conversations with Madeleine Smith In Conversation with Bill Lawrence Episode 3 In this conversation, Maddie talked about her rising stardom in the hugely successful Hammer Horror Film Productions. I dyed my hair blonde at this particular time. I'd gone from Vidal Sassoon red. To my own terrible blonde mixture <laughs> which went green from time to time but that is also another story so I go to audition for this film and they're looking for a really gormless girl, and I absolutely fitted the bill what with my squeaky voice my little skinny legs my woolly jumpers perfect I got the part and it was to play the half-cut girlfriend of the wonderful actor Ian McShane and the film was based very, very loosely indeed on a poem by Robert Burns, The Ballad of Tam Lynn, which is kind of about a sort of spider-like lady who entraps people. And the spider-like lady, the witch character, was Ava Gardner. And we all went, we, that is all the actors, Richard Wattis, whom some of you will certainly remember, wonderful actor, Ian, Ava, and I went and stayed in the Peebles Hydro, which is about as grand as it gets, in the Peebles area of Scotland. And um, my, my little adventure while there, apart from having lots and lots of fun, meeting Joanna Lumley later and dear Jenny Hanley again with whom I shared a bedroom when modeling, my tiny little but very amusing adventure was Sean Connery. Sean Connery was playing golf as he does and he knew Roddy McDowell, who was directing The Ballad of Tamlin, and came to say hello, as did Lauren McCall, I have to say, and Lee Remick. We were all having dinner one night in a very grand dining room, and Sean Connery, to whom I hadn't spoken, was sitting at the other end of the table. I go up to bed, well, as we all do in the end, and I trot upstairs, and guess what? I've still got the Brothers Karamazov under my arm. So, up I get to my door, room next to Roddy McDowell, and there's some hot breath behind me, and it's Sean Connery. Hello, he said. You're going into your room. Can I come in with you? And I said, well, no, I'm very, very sorry. I'm about to have my bath, and, you know, and I'm reading my book here. He said, oh, that's all right. I'll run the bath with you, and we'll read the Brothers Karamazov together. Ah. To which I said, well, um, actually, no. No. Uh, because Roddy McDowell is in the room next door. What I didn't put in parentheses was, and I'm a virgin and I don't know what you're talking about, but that's another story too. So, with a very, very long face, Sean Connery mooched off. And when I saw him next day, guess what? I think you've all guessed, haven't you? I was studiously ignored. I stopped having this dreadful blonde hair. I was the girl with green hair, so I went back to something a little more natural and was sent to audition for Hammer Films. Yes, I wasn't all that happy about that. I remember even when I was at school that the horror films were always shown late at night and outside your Odeon cinema or your Ritz cinema or your Gaumont, There would be, you know, the main attraction, Doris Day, for example, and then a very, very small poster with some screaming lady and a man with blood uh, hanging off his fangs. And not really to my taste. And they were always shown from sort of 11 p.m. onwards with, dare I say it, you know, gentlemen with raincoats on, even when it wasn't raining. The problem was that by the end of the 60s and the early 70s, Nudity was all the rage, unfortunately. People had stopped going to the cinema because they were all watching their tellies, or they were out bopping and popping to the Beatles and so on. Uh, Cinemas were dead, quite literally dead. Um, And for for example, where I came from at that time, Richmond uh, upon Thames, two of the cinemas closed and the third one had to turn itself into studios. So things were not good and Hammer films felt a rather stiff breeze. So I had a small part in a film called Taste the Blood of Dracula and I had a very nice uh, little part actually in that one and I knew very little about the rest of the film. I just came in for a couple of days, uh, had Jeffrey Keane riding on my back in a bordello. I didn't even know what a bordello was or why he was riding on my back or I on his or indeed anybody on anybody's back. So <laughs> A month or two later, I'm actually offered, as opposed to auditioning, this is already, alarm bells are going, I was offered a part. Never ever accept a part without asking questions. Well, I got my script, and there was no mention of any nudity, and I had a phone call from the producer called, uh, what was his name, Michael Stiles, over that Christmas period, because we started it in January, Asking me about my um, <clears throat> my physique, my bod, my bosom. A very embarrassing phone call because m- my mum and dad were actually in the kitchen at the time and I really didn't know quite what to say except that I said, well, I'll try and put on weight. He wanted to know if, you know, if I had enough amplitude. Um, And I said, well, I'll try and put on some weight, Mr. Styles." And I dashed down to the dairy and bought as many yogurts as I possibly could. And I drank as much milk as I could get hold of. And, well, by January, things were all right, you know. They popped out in all the right places. So... Nice filming, nice script, great stuff, wonderful director Roy Ward Baker, great cast, and mostly really Ingrid and various dying maidens, because of course she played a vampire who falls in love and then bites all her victims, and then they die. At the point where I'm going to die, she bites me on the bosom, and Michael Stiles, who was the producer who'd been kind of brought in to hot things up for Hammer, came and whispered to me that I would have to take my top off, that Ingrid was already completely exposed and I would have to do the same. And nothing in the contract, nothing had been said until that moment. The director, Roy Ward Baker, was having puppies, and I knew that I would be in serious trouble if I didn't comply. So I took my chemise off and Michael Stiles said to me, I really don't know why you're so worried about this because it's only for the Japanese version ha ha. Anyway, it was a halfway decent little film and then a couple of years later I was asked to make um, a much, much, I think a much better film for Hammer called Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell with Peter Cushing and Dave Prowse and a lovely young actor called Shane Bryant and I really really enjoyed that because it was all about acting with my eyes because I was mute as my voice was still like that just as well any actor all actors would do Hammer because they they were quick and easy and what made Hammer films was not all the stars but the character actors and every character actor under the sun appeared in Hammer films and that's why they're so darn good I have to say again that Theatre of Blood was an independent film it uh, wasn't Amicus, wasn't Hammer, it was Dougie Hickox and his acolytes, um, and uh, it was made on a shoestring. All these famous actors, Robert Coote, um, Diana Dawes, Arthur Lowe, Dennis Price, Robert Morley, uh, Vincent Price, Diana Rigg, Ian Hendry, Eric Sykes. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And on, and on, and on. Theatre of Blood was an independent, and it was the last one I did. And when I went to audition for it, the director looked at me with great disappointment. Oh, he said, his name was Douglas Hickox. Oh, he said. Long pause. I thought you were blonde. That is because I'd just done the two Ronnies. And I said, don't you worry. I shall go to Vidal Sassoon tomorrow if you give me the part, and I shall be blonde by nightfall, and by gum I did. I watched my hair go to, from tomato colored <laughs> to <laughs> to blonde and uh, wasn't I stupid? Why didn't I say, this is how innocent and stupid I was, why didn't I say on the two Ronnies I wore wigs, why don't I wear a wig? But no, I went the full length and every day the lovely makeup lady used to pile my hair on top in a little sort of bun type thing, I think, yeah. Wonderful though, I, I did meet at that time I met uh, I can't think of it. the guy that, that composed all the Bond music. John Barry. Yes, I did. Not very nice though. He 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 had a he had a flat um, in the same penthouse where we were filming most of Theatre of Blood, and he invited me into his apartment to look at his organs. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when I said I had to go home, uh, and I had to ring my father, um, and my dad said to me, "You're coming home immediately." He wasn't very pleased. I'll leave it there. I was certainly looking for a cab all on my own, that's for sure. Coral Brown uh, was wonderful to me. Uh, We were so busy and we were going, you know, at the rate of knots to get this thing done. Um, uh, But Coral Brown said to me, uh, very sweet. She said, I like you in that dress. It had a halter neck. She said, it suits you very well, my dear. Um, But really, there wasn't a lot of time for small talk. However, I do remember that lovely Diana Rigg and I were sitting in a gas works together in Wandsworth, of course that's now been replaced by high rises but in those days there was a gas works there near the river and she and I were sitting on deck chairs and I just remember the lovely small talk and chats that we had together actors are human beings Ian Hendry on the other hand with whom I had worked previously used to disappear (laughs) and knock on the door of the local pub (laughs) and be at absolutely plastered and one night Michael Horden who was also in this film said you are a very unprofessional actor which was terribly unfair because it was about 11 o'clock at night and Ian Hendry had so many many lines and actually did stupendously well he just had a very very small drinking problem sadly but he was lovely I liked Ian very much I loved them all I loved them all was episode 3 of A Life in Laughter with Madeline Smith